listening to the podcast of Northside Assembly of God in Crowley, Louisiana. All right, how many of y'all ready for the word? Amen. Woo! Who is that? All right. <laughs> They're pointing at one another. I like that. More of that, please. Um, all right, so, so we're in Colossians 3 this morning. It's our Chi Alpha folks up there. And we're getting coffee for them next week. Doug LeBlanc, Father's Coffee. We're going to have coffee in the lobby starting next week. So y'all are going to be really hyped up next week. And it's really good coffee, man. If you haven't had Doug LeBlanc's coffee, it's phenomenal. Back to the message. Um, Colossians 3. The title of the sermon today is Order from Chaos. And again, we are going to be talking about issues relating to sex today. Um, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look at the whole passage. We're probably going to linger with this passage for, for maybe another week or so. We'll see. But here's what Paul writes, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 4. We'll read through verse 10, and then we will pray. And then we're going to zoom in on verse 5. Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Heavenly Father, we just pause for a moment before we begin. I thank you so much for your presence in this room. Lord, we, we do see evidence of your grace and your mercy and your radical love all around us in the faces of the people we're sitting around. As we look back at our lives, you've been good, nothing but good, nothing but kind. All of our days, you've been faithful. Thank you, Jesus. And you've brought us to this place. And I pray, God, that the power of your word and the power of your spirit would now be received into the core of our beings. Help us to set aside as an act of worship anything and everything else that might compete for our thoughts and our focus. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. May we be receptive and humble before your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 5. Let's key in on verse 5. We'll keep it up on the screen for just a little bit. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Now, I grew up a Sesame Street kid. That was my show. My mom and dad are here uh, on the front row, and they can attest to that. That was my life. That was part of my life, along with G.I. Joe's and He-Man. I was a Sesame Street kid with Bert and Ernie, and I had, I, my mom made Bert and Ernie dolls for me, and some of you have seen my uh, Bert, uh, I shouldn't say doll, something else, toy, and I would carry it around everywhere I went. I was big into that, Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch and Snuffleupagus. That was my crew. 
And there was a song that uh, would come on Sesame Street every so often called One of, the, One of These Things Is Not Like the Other. One of these things is not like the other. And there was like this game where they would put four items on the screen. And, and as a child, you had to um, choose which of the ones didn't belong. You know, so there might be like an apple and then an orange and then a banana and then a monkey wrench. And so it was kind of there to kind of teach kids how to put things in proper distinctions and categories. I'm reminded of that song when I look at this verse because when you look at this list that Paul mentions in verse 5, the whole thing is about sexual issues, but there's one word that just doesn't seem to belong. So he's got sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and then he caps it all off with greed. And it just seems, or it can seem at first glance, that the word greed just doesn't seem to fit with the others. One of these is not like the others, and it seems like it might be the word greed there. It just doesn't, doesn't naturally fit with those other words. But actually, if we understand the, the context, the ancient Jewish context, it makes perfect sense. Because the way that the ancient Jews looked at this, they saw sexual immorality as a form of greed. And if you were to define greed this morning, I want to give you a definition. And I'm going to kind of refer to this today a few times, at least the language here. Greed is the impulse to go beyond proper boundaries. Everybody say boundaries. Greed is the impulse to go beyond those proper boundaries to satisfy a craving for more. That's what our fallen natures do. Our fallen natures just crave more and more and more, and that's what greed is. And we can be greedy about a lot of things. We can be greedy for wealth and possessions. That's usually how we typically think about greed. And what is that? That's going beyond the, pop, the proper boundaries of what we really need in a world where tons of people don't even have their basic necessities. We can be greedy for food, eating habitually way more than what we need in a world where many people don't even have food and clean water. But we, don't, we can also be greedy when it comes to sexual activity, going on, b- beyond the proper boundaries that God has put into place. And I want to state this right here at the very beginning. Sex, first of all, is a gift that God has given to humankind. But when he gave us this gift, he put a boundary around it. Sex is reserved specifically for marriage, and in particular, marriage between a man and a woman. That's what we see at the very beginning, that sex is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman. There's a boundary that God has placed around the gift of sex, and Jesus, later on in the Gospels, reaffirms that boundary. And Jesus is the foundation of our faith, amen. And, and so one of the things that we've seen in our study in Colossians Paul wants us to know that apart from the world that we see, there's an unseen world. And there are unseen spiritual forces of evil that are at work in the world. Paul, twice we've seen it in Colossians so far, he uses the term elemental spiritual forces of the world. And Paul wants us to know that behind our culture, behind our society, there are evil forces that are unseen, that are very smart, and they're very subtle, and they know how to affect and influence the way we think. They don't control the way we think, but they know how to influence the way we look at things, the way we interpret things. Sometimes even our basic assumptions, our most basic common sense ideas, we may not even realize sometimes there can be a demonic dimension to the origin of those ideas. 
And, and I've called it in this series, I've referred to it as sort of like a cloud of deception that we live in. And because of this cloud of deception, and because of our fallen impu- impulse towards greed, we can sometimes in our culture be conditioned to look at the boundaries that God has placed around sex as arbitrary. We look at these boundaries perhaps as repressive, prudish, oppressive. And we see God as sort of like this cosmic killjoy. God just doesn't want us to have any fun. And so that's why he gives us these rules. He's like, okay, here are these rules, here are these boundaries, and you better live by them or else and just do it because I said so. And so in our culture, we look at these norms, we look at these boundaries and standards that God has put into place. And because we don't see the wisdom and the necessity behind these boundaries as a society, we, we reject and revolt against them when we overstep these boundaries. And what I want to do this morning is I want to help us to see the wisdom and the necessity for the boundaries that God has placed around sex. And I want you to see what happens when we overstep those boundaries. Now, the truth of the matter is, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't need any extra reasons to do something that God tells you to do other than the fact that he tells you to do it. Whether you understand it or not, any, any parent can say amen to that. You don't care sometimes whether your child understands it. What you care about is obedience, you know, even when they don't understand. But I think it can help us. It can really get us to appreciate and motivate us to embrace the boundaries when we see the wisdom behind them. So that's what I want to do this morning. Now, here's how we're going to get started. I'm going to give you a a good bit of foundation here at the beginning. Stay with me. This is going to get a little thick, but I I, I know you can handle it. So let's let's get a little bit of a foundation here before we get into the interesting stuff. Not that this isn't interesting. It, It is interesting. Pay attention. The well-being of our lives and the well-being of everything, literally everything you can think of, depends upon honoring proper boundaries. When you think about your physical body, the health of your body depends upon things in your body honoring proper boundaries and proper balances. Most diseases emerge in a person's body as a result of things not staying within their boundaries. Like tumors appear in your body as a result of cells that don't stay within their boundaries and they start growing in places that they're not supposed to grow and they grow in ways that they're not supposed to grow. So our health, our well-being depends upon honoring those boundaries. Everything you can think of in God's creation. I mean, we talk about our bodies. Let's talk about the universe. Let's talk about the solar system, the way God has created our solar system and the earth and its precise location in relation to the moon and the sun and the precise tilt. I'm sure some of you have heard some of this data that, that if any of that were to be adjusted to the slightest degree, life on earth wouldn't even be possible. And so God is, whether it's, whether it's the tiniest particle or whether it's the entire universe, the well-being of everything in God's creation depends upon staying within proper boundaries. And when anything oversteps those boundaries, everything starts to decay, things start to fall apart. So let's look at the very beginning, Genesis 1 verse 1. Genesis 1, let's look at this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. The uh, Hebrew term there is tohu wabohu. It's a lot of fun to say. Why don't you say it with me? Tohu wabohu. 
it's fun. I'm going to say it a bunch of times today because it is fun, but also because it's important to us. Tohu wabohu, this Hebrew term, it can be translated formless, empty. It can also be translated void, vacant, um, chaotic. So here we see God creates the cosmos, everything that is. He creates the heavens and the earth. And for a period of time, we don't know how long. You know, some people have a lot of theories about this verse 2 part. Could have been billions of years. But for at least a period of time, the cosmos that God created was without form. It was, it was empty. It was chaotic. This term, tohu wabohu, every time it's used in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's always a negative thing. It's, all, it's like a pejorative term. In, Genesis, in uh, Jeremiah 4, for example, it talks about the land after God's judgment, and it's just laid to waste. It's desolate. It's not even capable of supporting life. And that's what the cosmos looked like at the very beginning. It was chaotic. It was without form. It's vacant. And so when you continue on in the creation story, what you have is God taking what was there, and now, systematically, step by step, he brings order to the chaos by imposing boundaries. So, for example, in verse 4 of Genesis 1, it talks about God creating light, and he called it good. And it says, and he separated the light from the darkness. So he puts a boundary there. There's a distinction there. Before this, whenever everything was in a state of tohu wabohu, chaotic uh, status, there was no distinction between light and darkness. There was no boundary there. But now God places a boundary. He separates light from darkness, and he brings order to the chaos. And then in verse 7, it talks about God creating the expanse, speaking of the, the waters, the, the oceans. And it says he separated the waters above from the waters below. Now, he's kind of working with, you know, ancient people here, and, and they had kind of a primitive understanding of how the earth was structured, and they actually believed that there was a hard shell, like the sky was actually a hard shell, and, and there was water resting on that shell. So God's kind of working with these people using concepts that they understand. But the point of it is that God sets a boundary in place. And he separates the waters above from the waters below. And then we see in verse 9 that now he makes a boundary between land and water. It says, um, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. So now you have another boundary. And that's what the creation story is. It's a series of God placing boundaries into his creation so that order can emerge from chaos. He separates light from darkness. He separates the waters above from the waters below. He separates the land from the water. He's instituting boundaries. Are you with me so far? All right. Now, at the same time, as the ancient Jews understood, and actually all, pretty much all ancient people understood this, at least a variation of it, but the ancient Jews believed and understood that at the same time all of this is happening, and even to this day, once again, there are spiritual forces of evil who are also present in the world, these un unseen demonic powers and principalities. And these forces of evil, their desire, their goal, is they want to destroy these boundaries and return the world back into a state of tohu wabohu. They want to take what God's done, the order God has brought, and they want to return everything to chaos. 
And the only thing that holds them back is the hand of God. But if God, if for any reason, if God were to lift his hand of protection, these destructive forces would come in, destroy these boundaries, and return the world back to a state of chaos. This is actually exactly what we see in the flood story. Remember the story of the big flood, Noah and the ark and all of the animals, nod your heads. You remember that story? Do I have to tell it to you? I will if I need to. But it's going to make the sermon go longer. So participate, nod your head. Um, so, so you see it in the flood story in Genesis 6 through 9. It talks about how right before the flood, human beings, we were irrevocably evil. Evil, it says, was constantly on our imaginations. Nothing but evil. And then there's this really weird story where it talks about these fallen angels. They call them the sons of God. But these fallen angels who come to the earth, materialize, and they have sexual relations with human women, conceiving these hybrid beings, these like half-human beings called Nephilim or something. It's, it's a really odd story. Can we all agree it's a really strange story? You know, it's probably the strangest story in the Bible, and I don't want to get hung up on this today. I don't want to venture off on a rabbit trail about this strange story, but what I want to do is I want to show you something. Much later in the book of Jude, in Jude 6, it refers to this story, and it refers to these fallen angels, and it says this. It talks about the angels who did not keep their proper positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, and it says these he has kept in darkness. So here's the point. These fallen angels overstepped their boundaries. They left their proper dwelling place, and they materialized on earth. And anytime anything in God's creation oversteps God's boundaries, it's on its way to creating chaos. So you have this flood story where human beings are overstepping their boundaries. Fallen angels are overstepping their boundaries. And for a while, God kept his hand of protection in place out of his mercy. But there came a point where God just simply was left with no choice. And with a grieving heart, because God's judgment always comes with a grieving heart, he lifts his hands of protection, which allows these chaotic forces to come in and begin to destroy the boundaries that God's put in place and return the world back into a state of chaos. In fact, what's interesting is that when you read the flood story carefully, it's the exact reverse of the creation story. So in the creation story, God takes what is chaotic and step by step puts boundaries in place to bring order to the chaos. With the flood story, you start with a sense of order and then systematically these boundaries are destroyed, returning the world back to a state of tohu abohu back to a state of chaos. So, for example, in chapter 7 of Genesis, it says that, that on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of heaven were opened. Whereas God put a boundary in place and separated the waters above from the waters below, now that boundary's been obliterated and we see the undoing of creation. Now, let me just say this real quickly as a side note. This is not part of my sermon but I feel the need to say this. This does not mean that every time there's a natural disaster, every time there's a hurricane, a tornado, an earthquake, it doesn't mean that every time it happens, it's because God lifted his hand of protection and allowed judgment to happen. There are all kinds of variables that can affect when, whether or not disasters happen and when they happen. 
And we should never try to connect the dots between a certain disaster and God's judgment. That is a very harmful thing to do. Please do not do that. But that's a side point. Just write that down, study it, think about it this week. But here's the real point that we want to get to when it comes to this narrative. The boundaries that God has put in place, every boundary God puts in place, is anything but arbitrary. When God establishes boundaries, it's out of his wisdom, for our protection, and for the well-being of ourselves, our society, and all of God's good creation. Whether we're talking about particles, people, marriages, family, society, the earth itself, the solar system, the entire universe, everything hangs on honoring proper boundaries. Everybody with me? All right, so that's the groundwork. Now let's get into the good stuff. As we get into this issue of sex and, 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 and greed, the problem with our human nature, we have this fallen impulse of greed to overstep God's boundaries and satisfy our cravings. And so instead of honoring the boundaries, we violate the boundaries. And I'm just speaking broadly over human society in general. And as it pertains to sex, we have this fallen impulse to overstep to overstep the boundaries that God has established so that we can have the freedom to have sex with whoever we want, whenever we want, however we want. And what we've got to understand is that the boundary God has put in place, that sex is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman, that boundary is not arbitrary. It's not oppressive. It's not prudish. It has been put into place out of God's infinite wisdom for our well-being and for the well-being of society. And when we reject the boundaries that God has put into place, we are inviting tohu wabohu upon ourselves and upon our entire society. And what we've got to be concerned about right now, in America in particular, is that over the last several decades, there has been, I think everybody can identify this, there's been a massive assault on the boundaries that God has put into place as it pertains to sex. And especially over these last three decades with the advent of the Internet, pornography has just exploded out of control. It's out of control. Listen to these statistics. Every second, 30,000 people are viewing porn on any given second. There are 40 million Americans who are regular visitors to porn sites. One in three of those are women. Listen to this. 25% of search engine requests. So this is like Google. You get on Google, you type in a term to search. 25% of search engine requests are related to sex. 35% of downloads from the Internet are pornographic. 70% of men ages 18 through 24 visit a porn site at least once a month. Porn roughly makes $13 billion a year in America. Worldwide, it's estimated that it makes $96 billion a year. That's more than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, Netflix combined. It's massive. It's mind-bogglingly massive. And because it's so pervasive in our culture, it, it's permeated everything especially when it comes to youth culture, through, through music. Let me tell you, I don't, I don't mean, listen, the last thing I want to sound like is an old fuddy-duddy. 
But, but you have to call out what you see. And I'm, I just want you to be awake to what's happening. As parents, the lyrics in some of the most popular songs in these last two years could not be more explicit if they tried. It's unprecedented. Now, when I was a teenager, preachers said the same thing, and it was true then. And now I'm telling you, the level of, ex- of explicitness is unprecedented today. Our culture is like bent on going as far as they can. It's, it's pervasive in our entertainment, through social media apps like TikTok, Snapchat. Parents, you need to know these apps. You need to have your kids' passwords to these apps. Advertisement. Sex is is used to sell just about anything. It's used in all forms of entertainment every day. I don't don't even think we realize it because we're so used to it. Every day we're just deluged with sexual images, sexualized images. And it's never about the beauty of sex within a marriage. Never. The message is always, if you want to be a fully alive human being, if you really want to be fully alive, then you need to throw off these shackles these old rules, these old norms, these restrictive ideas and boundaries, just cast all that aside and feel the freedom to just have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, however much you want. And to the degree you're doing that, you are a full human being. That's the message our culture relentlessly passes along in every venue we can think of. And so there's like this, I'm going to call it a concerted effort because I think it's even beyond the level of just our conscious decisions. I believe there's a spiritual aspect to this. There are powers and principalities unseen that are fueling what's happening in our culture, but there's an attempt to brainwash us into seeing the boundaries God has put in place in regards to sex as restrictive, oppressive, unnecessary, irrelevant. And that is unleashing tohu wabohu upon our society. See, sex is like the power of an atom. That's why I put an atom here on the screen. The power that holds an atom together is one of the strongest forces we know of in our universe. And as long as that power is turned inward and kept within the boundary of an atom, well, that's what makes everything solid. It's what makes everything work. If, if there were, thank God for atoms. If there was no such thing as atoms, you and I would just evaporate instantly. Atoms is what brings solidity to our literal physical self it's a wonderful power the power that holds an atom together but if you take that same power and turn it outward as what happens when you split an atom well now it becomes one of the most destructive forces we know of in the universe can wipe out an entire city in just seconds it's explosive this is what sex is like everybody look at me this is so important this is foundational to the message Sex is one of the most powerful forces in the human experience. And as long as it's turned inward and kept within the boundaries of a marriage, well, that's part of the essential glue that holds a marriage together, which does what? It brings solidity to the entire family, which does what? Brings solidity to the entire society. It's part of the essential component that makes a society healthy and whole. But when that same power is turned outward and goes out of the boundaries, 
now that same power becomes one of the most destructive forces in the human experience. It's like an atomic bomb being dropped on families and society as a whole. And it's unleashing tohu wabohu upon our society. Listen to this. 41% of all births are out of wedlock today. 35% of all children now live in one-parent homes in America. There are 19 million new sexually transmitted infections that occur each year. Half of them between the, uh, uh, with, the, with people between the ages of 15 and 24. In fact, one in five people under the age of 30 in America have a sexually transmitted disease. Severe clinical depression is twice as likely to, uh, to occur among porn users than among non-porn users. Tohu wabohu, the power of the atomic bomb unleashed on our society. And there's mounting evidence that it's also having effect on individuals. There's a book that's been out for just a few years called Hooked, the new science on how casual sex is affecting our children, written by Joel McElhaney and Frieda McKissick. It's not even a Christian book. It's not even religious. It's just a book about science. And it explores from a neurological perspective the potential psychological consequences of casual sex. And it is jaw-dropping. It's eye-opening. I'm going to give you one, just a few little things here. And, and forgive me, I'm going to have to rely on my notes a little bit because I am not a science person. So I want to make sure I get the language right here. But in the book, it talks about how there are three neurochemicals that are involved in sexual activity. Those three chemicals, I'm going to briefly describe each one. There's dopamine, oxytocin, and vasopressin. Dopamine is what's often referred to as the pleasure chemical in your body. You know, anytime you feel pleasure, you get a thrill. If you feel good, your brain is releasing dopamine into your bloodstream. And it's usually associated with thrilling activity. And you go on a roller coaster or you accomplish something really big, really important, and you just feel that, wow, you know, maybe you hit the last shot at a basketball game or somebody likes your Facebook post. They actually talk about that in some of the studies that there's a little bit of dopamine that gets released into your bloodstream when you see that. It's like, oh, yeah, it feels good. Somebody liked it. And it's also associated with sexual activity. It's what, it's what gives you the pleasure. It's what gives you that feeling of thrill, dopamine. And then there's a, a chemical called oxytocin. This is the female bonding chemical. When women are involved in sexual activity, oxytocin gets released normally in their bloodstream. And what this chemical does is it forms a sense of union with the other person. It, it helps you to feel a bond with that person. It's a very natural thing. This is the way God's designed our bodies. He's put these chemicals in our brain. He wants this to work this way. It's all part of his plan. And then there's a third chemical for men called vasopressin. Vasopressin is the male bonding chemical, and it creates a sense of commitment and loyalty to the person during sexual activity. And you see, according to God's design, he wants all three of these chemicals to work in unison, complementing one another. So that feeling of thrill, that feeling of pleasure, the dopamine, 
is meant to reinforce the bonding and the commitment aspect. And the bonding chemicals, vasopressin and oxytocin, are meant to reinforce the thrill. And within a marriage, it's a beautiful thing that is so life-giving, even on a chemical level. They were always meant to complement one another in that kind of marriage, in that kind of relationship. But when people have multiple partners, everything gets messed up. Because what you're doing is, is you bond with one person, then you rip it apart. You bond with another person, rip apart. You bond with another person, it rips apart. Bond with another person, and it rips apart. And what these authors show in the book, and there's neurological proof of this, is that over time what happens is it begins to damage and it could possibly even destroy the brain's capacity to secrete vasopressin and oxytocin. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about Bible stuff. I'm talking about science stuff. What ends up happening is it weakens and possibly even eventually destroys that feeling of bonding, that feeling of union, your capacity to develop that commitment and loyalty. It begins to be diminished, and over time, it creates issues of trust. You have a hard time trusting. And that's what we're seeing in our society. The, the level, the, the trust issues in our society, especially in our population under 30, are just through the roof right now. The inability to bond with people after multiple liaisons, it's almost like tape that loses its stickiness over time. You know, when you take a stick of tape and you place it on something and you rip it off and you put it on it again and then you rip it off and you, you place the tape again, eventually it, uses, it loses its stickiness because it was never meant to operate that way. It was always meant to operate once. Nothing could be more destructive to the stability of families and society than overstepping these boundaries. Not only that, but listen to this. When dopamine, the pleasure feeling, the pleasure chemical, when dopamine operates independent of oxytocin and vasopressin, in other words, independent of that feeling of bonding and loyalty, well, now the thrill is no longer directed towards a person. The thrill is directed towards the feeling itself. It's directed towards the sex for the sake of sex. And so what tends to happen is now, over time, having sex with the same person starts to lose its thrill and you become bored with one person, so you want to move on. And that just increases, of course, the damage to the chemical release of oxytocin and vasopressin. So now, dopamine, that feeling of pleasure, now instead of working for the marriage, it's actually working against the marriage. It's pulling you in the opposite direction. On top of that, when dopamine is no longer balanced by the bonding feeling and that commitment feeling, well, now dopamine is all you've got to go on. And when dopamine is all you've got to go on, some people get addicted to it, and now they need more sex just for the sake of the, the feeling. And that's why the rate of sex addiction and porn addiction right now is skyrocketing in America. And listen, just like all addictive drugs, for many people at least, you need more and more of a radical thrill in order to feel that same buzz. And so over time, what ends up happening is people end up requiring an increasingly strange, bizarre, and sometimes even cruel acts to get that same dopamine release. And over time, they begin engaging in things that, that previously they would have never imagined. It's just shocking, revolting. But this is the result of tohu wabohu, chaos unleashed upon ourselves and our society. 
There are many other things we could talk about. There are scientists who uh, are arguing right now that there's a connection between promiscuity and depression. There's a connection between promiscuity and low self-esteem. A connection between promiscuity and all kinds of other psychological phenomena like eating disorders and, and even phobias. And then there are also the ramifications on a physical level. Like one out of five people under 30 having an STD. Tohu wabohu unleashed on our culture. And it's all the result of this massive revolt against the boundaries that God in his wisdom has placed around the gift of sex. See, if you're a Christian, if you've been serving God for a number of years, if you've been in church, none of this should surprise you. Because the Bible makes it clear when two people come together, a one flesh relationship is created. That's not just a cute metaphor. That's reality. God has wired his creation to work like this. And science is just confirming what the Bible has been telling us all along. Paul says when, when two people come together, it forms that, that type of bond, that type of union. He says even when it's just a, a liaison with a prostitute, as he says in 1 Corinthians 6. Jesus says what God has put together, let no man separate. It was never meant to be destroyed. And so, and so when a person comes together and forms that one flesh relationship with someone, and then it gets ripped apart, and then they form that one flesh relationship with another person, and it gets ripped apart, and the same thing over and over and over again, it, it's like tape losing its stickiness over time, and you lose your capacity to have that feeling of bonding, that feeling of union, that feeling of commitment and loyalty that's very organic to the way God has created us. It's destructive, tohu wabohu, unleashed on our society. So I'll end with this. We live in a culture of chaos, especially as it relates to sexual immorality. We live in a chaotic tohu wabohu culture. And in the midst of this culture, folks, if you're surrendered to Jesus, we are called to manifest the priorities of the kingdom and the values of the kingdom, which means we are willing to swim upstream which means we don't go with the flow of our culture. We don't have a hateful attitude. We don't have a spiteful attitude. We don't have an angry, wrathful attitude, anything like that. What we do, though, is lovingly model the way God's called us to live. And we show the world an alternative vision for what human society ought to look like. That's what makes us salt and light. We live in contrast in the ways that our culture operates outside of God's agenda we distinctly follow God's agenda and are a living testimony to the chaotic culture around us. This is what it's supposed to be. This is what marriage looks like. This is what a healthy society looks like. It's called the church of Jesus Christ. Our job is to be the church and make the world the world by being the church. There ought to be a distinction there. And so with that in mind, I want to give you two things. And then we're going to share communion together. The first thing is this, if you're a Jesus person, if you surrendered your life to Jesus right now, I want to leverage any and all authority you've given me to speak into your life right now, and I want to call you to turn. I want to call you to repent. What does repent mean? Yes, you ask for forgiveness, you receive forgiveness, but it also means you turn and you begin living a different way. You live the way Jesus has called you to live. And if you've been involved sexually, I know, listen, you're not alone in this room if, if this is you. I promise you, you're not. But if this has been part of your story, 
Maybe it's part of your story right now, going outside of the boundaries that God has put in place. Maybe you even have developed this type of addiction, addiction to pornography even. And I understand it's very difficult to restrain our sex drive. It's very difficult. But I want to encourage you this morning and tell you something that, you know, it's not fun to hear, but it's, it's essential to us living victoriously. You can't do it alone. You need a community of people. You need one, two, three people at least who you've invited in on the inside of this issue. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. If, if, the, if you're in that scenario, number one, don't, don't just jump out and expose yourself in front of this entire church. I don't, I'm not even going to expect that or want that right now. What I want you to do is privately, personally, find someone. If you're a man in this room and this has been a problem for you, find me, Jared, Randy, Kevin, a man in our church, one of our board members, find somebody you can trust and bring them in on the inside of this. If you're a woman, find one of our female staff members. Find my wife. Find one of our, our, our female leaders. And just, just be honest. Nobody here, nobody here is going to look down upon you at all. I promise you that. Ain't, ain't a person on our staff who's like that. We're, we're people of mercy. We're people of love. And we just want to help. And, and, and who knows, perhaps if we have enough people who reach out, we can form some type of support group, you know, whether it's three or four people, a private group that nobody else knows you're even in. You know, we'll figure it out. Where, where we just commit together, we're going to live in a certain way. It's not restrictive. It's not prudish. It's not Victorian. It's about health. It's about well-being and living the way God's called us to live. Amen. The second thing is this. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're on the live stream and you've been damaged by sexual activity outside of marriage. Whether it's been done to you or whether it's the product of your own choices. Maybe you've been abused. Or maybe you've been promiscuous. Or at least there's been a season of your life where you've been promiscuous. And it's damaged you in ways that maybe you're not even totally aware of. I know, I know men who, who have a hard time feeling that connection. Feeling that union, that bond. They have a hard time doing that because of the damage that's been done. The tape has lost its stickiness, so to speak. And this might be the most important thing I say today. I want you to look at me. I want you to know this. The good news is that that doesn't have to be the end of your story. I promise you. Because when we come to Jesus and humbly repent and embrace his way of doing things, the scriptures say that he makes us a new creature. He makes all things new. And when we come to Jesus humbly, repentfully, and embrace his way of life, there is healing and restoration that can take place. He's making us new. It, see, it's not just like what happens when you first come to Jesus. Being a new creature, that's always true of us. And so he makes us new. He, he can make you new. He can make you pure again. He can bring healing and restoration and wholeness to you. And you're going to discover a whole new depth of fulfillment that you've never even tapped into. Because what the world offers you cannot compare to the riches of your inheritance in Christ. So I just want to encourage you. Maybe that's your story. Just know that even today, you just call out to God for healing and restoration, and he can do it. If he can, uh, if he can put a guy's ear back on, he can give that tape its stickiness again.
Amen? So you just embrace the whole kind of life that God has organized for you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To learn more about Northside Assembly of God, check out our website at www.northsidecrowley.com.